Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Bloody Disgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Poe. And this week, we're joined by a returning friend of the show, author and podcaster Daryl Baxter, to chat about the Tomb Raider franchise, long influence of horror, and how that shaped its identity over the years. In addition to hosting his podcast Palkies and writing for Tech Radar, Daryl has recently released a book titled The Making of Tomb Raider. So who better than Daryl to have on to chat Tomb Raider and how it's carved its uh, own adventure identity over its 25-year history. So without further ado, Daryl, welcome back to the show. Thanks very much. Yeah, it's good to be back. I enjoyed last time, so uh, ready to get into the weeds of Tomb Raider. Getting to uh, chat and pick your brain about uh, two franchises that mean as much to uh, you, but also Neil and I as well, is uh, great fun and kind of just picking your brain about like your experience with the series and whatnot and getting to highlight some of the elements that have grown over the years maybe some of the elements that they have done away with but at the end of the day we get to kind of chat about the uh horror influence that i think tomb raider has had over all these years and it's one that you know neil and i always talk about like adjacent genres to horror and how that influence can blend into different things Mm -hmm. and tomb raider is one where at first i would imagine a majority of people are like well hold on how is horror ever played in the tomb raider but i think it'll become more clear the more we get into it but uh i think first off we have to congratulate you on uh the launch of your book which has been a long time coming and it's really something it's a fascinating look into a game that i think a lot of people are aware of but maybe are not necessarily aware of the backstory behind how those first two games came to fruition yeah you're right yeah i always thought kind of knew there was a story there and it hadn't really been told properly i thought and I mean, I've said before, I mean, it's something that I had in mind since 2012, really, before I even started to begin, like, you know, really go freelance writing. And, uh, yeah, like, when the pandemic hit, I just thought I'd go for it. And because everyone was, you know, stuck inside, it just kind of made the interviews and everything easier. And uh, (laughs) it just kind of led to the book. And, yeah, and and since the release, it's just been... (laughs) It's been bizarre, guys, to put it mildly, you know, just seeing it out there and uh, with the launch in Derby... Um, signing the books and people give me the reviews it's just been really nice you know it's been really nice and the feedback's been great so far well it's fantastic to hear and i mean neil i don't know how much of it you got to read i got to read the first half of it or so and really enjoyed it and just seeing the wide amount of sort of just people that you got to speak to that were so uh heavily involved in it and whatnot and getting a little bit of the backstory surrounding that was really fascinating for somebody especially like me that I mean, I came to the first Tomb Raider much later than when it was released, and it was kind of like one of those things where, oh, okay, a friend's got it, I'll try this out. And it's really fascinating to me as, uh, not to age myself too much, but as a younger person getting to learn some of the inside info on how this game really came to fruition. Yeah, yeah I think I, I found, I've read pretty much all of it now, I think. But um, I did like that, having grown up at that, point you know where Tomb Raider blew up and was this big cultural thing then I was still I think I played it on Saturn first when All right. that came up <laughs> yeah so it was one of those um, <laughs> but um, yeah it's just so weird reading back in the book some of the stories about the making of it where it just put me back in that sort of time period thinking Jesus yeah I just remember all these things surrounding it and I remember like magazine stories about certain things and seeing this extra detail and the things they go into on it was just 
Yeah, it was like a lovely little trip back in time. Yeah, that, was that was the aim. That was the aim. Honestly, <laughs> the amount of shows I watched from 95, 96, 97 on YouTube, my algorithm on YouTube is just messed up now. <laughs> it's got everything <laughs> from the UK. I mean, honestly, there's a show called EastEnders, Jay, a soap in the UK. I only get recommendations for shows from that era, and it's a, it's a soap in the storylines there. I could tell you it now, but that's kind of what the aim was part of the book was to kind of like put the reader around that time to kind yeah. of like help understand like the developers mindsets as well and how they're influenced by certain things well not extenders but just kind of like the mindset of like <laughs> making the game so yeah i'm glad to hear that neil yeah i'm glad to hear that yeah definitely did the job in that regard <laughs> yeah you do a great job of establishing the period right because i think that back in the day especially for somebody like me i was just think trying to immerse myself in what the culture around game development was like and that was one of the quotes that stood out to me early on where someone says that the original pitch was essentially just like female indiana jones yeah. right but to see how it is spawned from that ide- that very sort of bare bones identity of like oh let's uh, go against the grain from having these very uh, macho male protagonists and having a female one but then it evolves from so much more than that and i think that you document that journey in a way that it's evident of that where it's like yeah it might have spawned from this very simplistic almost you could fit that sort of pitch on a sticky note but then seeing how the game has evolved to like where it's at now and like i'd said before we were recording i'm much more familiar with the more recent tomb raider games but i think that you do a great job of again illustrating where it initially started from and just seeing how over the years it's grown and adapted but i mean for my own personal interest, I'm curious, like, how do you even go about tackling the idea of writing a book about this? Like, what is your first step? Because it's it's like we all, I guess, everybody at a certain stage in their sort of like writing career, wherever anybody's at, they're like, well, I really like this thing. What if I wrote a book about it? But it's such a daunting idea. Like, where did you even start? So, I mean, it's like I said, I mean, like, I had the idea since 2012. So I also like had the idea in the back of my mind just festering away, like regardless of what I was doing, whether it was a day job, freelancing or just something else. And when it got to the point where, you know, I was given the contract, I was like, right, go for it. Here's the deadline. I always like, had a rough idea as to what the chapters would be. Um, so what I would do is that I had in my office like like 20 post-it notes of like who would be in which chapter, who I'd talk to, what the topics would be about as well. Uh, and every interview, I kind of framed it like a Palkies episode, really. Just kind of like framing it as to like the topics and then what would happen is I'd make it casual as well, like my episodes as well, because then we go into different like tangents as well, which really helped. And then again, I just keep filling it in and filling the blanks. And eventually with these post-it notes, it just kind of like formed a timeline really, which then formed into the story aim of the book, which then fit into the chapters. So yeah, it was just really just making sure that every little detail of the story from when Tomb Raider was pitched to the release of Tomb Raider 2 was all laid out. Um, but <laughs> making it coherent into a story was the hardest bit. It took ages. <laughs> I didn't have Christmas off last year. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was a challenge, but I think it's worked out well. It's told the story from, you know, um, beginning to end. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was worth it in the end. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that you're own love of the franchise i think comes through really well in that and i get i mean i can't even imagine just how daunting it is to be you know everybody at some point in there whether it's freelance or whatnot has had to write about things where it's like well this is kind of like a freelance check and whatnot but i can't imagine the amount of 
just sort of the weight that must have been on you in terms of writing about a franchise that's so near and dear to your heart. I mean, that pressure must have uh, been monumental. Actually, you know, it's funny. There wasn't. It was just. It was. It was just because that I just really. It was something that I knew that I could do, but it was something the fact that. <sighs> The challenge to me was, again, just making sure the story was coherent through 11 chapters. Yeah. I mean, I wanted to make sure that everything that was in that story was there. Nothing really was missing. You know, you could go back to a certain point and find out about, you know, who voiced Lara or the music or who did the levels, things like that. And what might have been as well, because, you know, they mentioned like how they would approach Tomb Raider 3, you know, and, and that's a story in itself. Um but no, I mean, really, the pressure, to be honest, to me, was, like I say, making sure that the story was coherent. That's the crucial thing. Because otherwise, you know, if you got things out of order in a Doctor Who timey-wimey thing, it would fall apart in an instant. So, uh, yeah, it was a challenge, but honestly, it was just, it was fun. <laughs> That's the thing, like, you're so ingrained in it and you have that own investment in it because it was such a big part of your, like, gaming history, as it yeah. were, that... Yeah, you know, I could see I could see uh, somebody losing themselves in that and just being like, kind of just relishing in the moment. You get to reach out to these people that were or had a hand, a direct hand in a game that means so much to you. But I mean, for you then, like, what does Tomb Raider mean to you? Because it's a game that everybody, obviously, like most games, has come to at different points in their life or at different reasons and whatnot. Like for me, I stumbled upon it at just like a blockbuster. Basically, it was like, oh, this is like. Mm-hmm a game that's on sale or whatever and I picked up a copy and played it and enjoyed it for what it was but I came to it so late that it was the type of thing where I was like well if I mention this to my friends they're like who still plays PlayStation at this point so it's kind of like <laughs> one of those things uh, so I'm curious for you like what was your like initial exposure to Tomb Raider and sort of how has your relationship with the franchise as a whole sort of evolved over the years yeah sure so I first got a PlayStation in July of 97 and in Europe you would have a demo disc called Demo 1 and it would have like the tech demo of the um, the manta ray and the t-rex and it would have these little demos as well and i remember like destruction derby wipeout 2097 and of course tomb raider was there as well and it was the second level um, where you'd first like you know uh, fight the bear in this little barn for some reason and uh, <laughs> and it was I mean, like, the thing is, like, a few months before getting that PlayStation, I was just playing, Rift, like, Ristar and Sonic 3 in my Mega Drive. So going from that to Tomb Raider fighting a bear yeah. in a barn was something else. It blew my mind at, like, you know, eight years old. And i just play that level just repeatedly. I wouldn't complete it. I'd just run around. You know, like, how I would, you know, what she could do in the moves, handstands, swimming, pulling levers, finding trap doors, just ridiculous. And then eventually... Um, because like grandma, my grandma bless her, she got me a subscription to Games Master magazine, and they had just brought out the issue where they covered E3, where Tomb Raider 2 was being showcased. So I was asking the parents, you know, I'd just uh, like that for Christmas, and I got it, and that was pretty much the main game of Tomb Raider 2 that really got me into the series because it, it said in the book, but you know, they aimed for Tomb Raider 1 to be Indiana Jones, it, they aimed for the sequel to be like James Bond. And you could see it with Venice and the boat and everything. And just going through like that whole landscape of Tibet and, you know, like I said, Venice and Great Wall and everything. Just amazing, really, just what you could do for 97 and driving the vehicles. And of course, Winston the Butler with his farting ways in his tea tray (laughs) (laughs) in the second game. Um, So, I mean, it's really like the classic games that kind of like really kind of hold a special place for me. And. 
and like throughout the years like, I keep track of it but yeah unfortunately like, sometimes you know it lost its way with Angel of Darkness unfortunately because the whole story there in 2003 where it's handed off from Core Designer Crystal and I came back to it when Legend Anniversary were, were out and it was just such a fun you know like collection of games there and admittedly you know I've, I've completed like the couple of the reboot games but I don't know I've always felt like something's been missing from it because I've always felt that the classic games they've had that kind of mix of horror but also comedy as well with Lara's mm. wit mm. and I feel like that's been missing in the later games really um, so I'm kind of curious as to what they're going to bring to the next game because they keep talking about unification of the, the games whatever that means so um, yeah <laughs> that's pretty much my history in a nutshell Jay <laughs> I agree with you on the uh, more recent games. They, they do just go a bit too far for the melodrama and the ironic. Just, I suppose maybe just because they wanted to do something different to Uncharted, which you know mm. obviously it gone this round robin of you know, Uncharted copying that, doing its own thing, and then doing that in that vein, but wanting not to you know have Lara be cracking jokes whilst shooting things. Because then you know people would have been very much like, yeah, you've just made exactly like that now but <laughs> but yeah I, I suppose it works in like 2013 because you know that was very like much survive 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 but you know there could have been a bit more in the later games yeah all I was going to say in terms of just like how malleable Tomb Raider seems to be in terms of how it's grown over the years right because again it is such a simple origin in terms of like that original pitch which really did give them the freedom, kind of like you had said, Daryl, in terms of them trying to be female Indiana Jones, but then taking more of a James Bond element with the second one. And you really can see them throughout the years with different various uh, sequels and whatnot. You can see them draw influence from a lot of different things, which, you know, as long as these games have been around and as sort of the plethora almost of these games that, again, you only have access to some of them, it's more difficult to play some of those middle chapters and whatnot. But... Tomb Raider, I think what really resonated with me for at least like the 2013 was is that it felt like a return to what my envision of what like classic Tomb Raider was in a way that it took a lot of the elements that I really liked about the original yeah. games, but then it applied that obviously a nice fresh coat of paint on top of that and gave us this gorgeous uh, sort of landscape and whatnot to explore in a way that we hadn't seen before. But also it kind of just felt like a just a compiling of the elements that always stood out to me that were the strongest which was of course sort of the survival elements the platformer elements the horror elements which we're going to get into but also now like the crafting side of things which is more a blending of sort of just modern uh, gameplay mechanics and things like that but it all blends into this really beautiful rebirth for lack of a better phrase for tomb raider um yeah i mean the thing is with tomb raider i feel like it's a franchise that's been heavily influenced by the time of those games coming out so like you've got the reboots yeah. like influenced by uncharted you know you've got like say like anniversary and legend just kind of like being honestly like, i think being influenced by like the gears of war and other kind of like third person types of those mm -hmm. you know those graphical things those narrative structures and i think with especially like say the earlier like tomb raider games i mean it feels like it well I mean, obviously, like, the team were kind of like you know under pressure by Idos to you know keep <laughs> um, ramping out like an entry every year, you know, until Age of Darkness. But you know, it, it's a strange one really because Tomb Raider is something that's just just been kept going and going and been redefined by its yeah. era really and its consoles and generations. So it makes me wonder again what's coming next. 
that's something that I, th- I find to be very refreshing because, again, you come back to that, just the simplicity of that concept, but it opens itself up to be very malleable, right? And we've seen that with them taking Tomb Raider and then there's, like, I think it's called Tomb Raider Go, which is more of like a puzzle mm. game. And then there's the sort of almost uh, top-down perspective, co-op focus games and whatnot. But it always feels like Tomb Raider and always retains that whether or not certain variables have been altered just because of like the course and the trajectory of where this franchise has been heading. It's never not felt like Tomb Raider though, which I think is a testament to it because it makes the future for a franchise that like, honestly, I enjoyed the last uh, three most recent games, but it's not a franchise that necessarily I'm a a mega fan of or whatever, or at the very least, like not, I'm not going to write a book about it like you did. (laughs) But my point being that, it makes me excited for the future of that game because it is so unknowing in a way that not a lot of franchises maybe necessarily are. Like, I think that that's a very rare talent, but it speaks more to them being able to take that sort of, again, simplistic basis, but expand on it in a really interesting way. Um, But Neil, I passed over uh, your history with Tomb Raider. What is your first introduction and what has always been an element of Tomb Raider that stood out to you? Um, Yeah, like I said before, I think my first was on the Saturn uh, when that came out and I don't know how I got around to having it but I did and yeah I enjoyed it well enough it it was a bit strange compared to what I'd been playing you know it was just early jump into 3D games it's always very mm. unnerving at that time it's why I said before it's like playing Resident Evil games for the first time was just very odd and like it seemed almost impossible to be able to do this now it's like I only want to go left and right and up and down. That's it. I, I, now I've got to do this. Like, and you, it takes a game that really clicks with you, doesn't it? To what to jump to 3D and go, oh, I know I get it now. I think for me that was probably Mario 64. You know, it's like I played that around my uncles and I was like, wow, this is 3D gaming is amazing. But yeah, so I played that. I was I wasn't like a huge fan at the time though for a while. I'd like see the game, so it, no, it wasn't. I, I prefer my gaming fairly stress-free at that point. <laughs> I was like, but um, I picked them up, try them, and not get on with them too well until about Tomb Raider: The Last Le- Revelation, which I think mainly because of the Egyptian stuff in there, especially at the end of my obsession with the mummy that came by the time I played that, it was like, oh, this is the perfect Tomb Raider game for me now because it's doing all that stuff. All the adventuring, it's the best mummy game we're going to get you know that isn't especially what we did get in terms of mummy games but (laughs) yeah it was just it clicked and I think I'd just been playing games long enough where it was like yeah okay I get this and I was amazed even from the first Tomb Raider that how intricate and how meaningful every move felt you know every movement had it felt so deliberate you know it's like you take it for granted now when you go to the later games and everything's so you know, flows really well and you know like you could just you're getting prompts to press something just before you jump or take a leap and, and hitting walls and back then it was a case of like no you learn on the job that's it you don't do it that's on you you know, you're gonna have to be stuck here for a while until you figure it out and it was that video that Kirk shared I think it was the other day yeah <laughs> like that, that one I was just looking at and I had nightmares seeing that again I was like oh god I remember that I remember it so well. It's just like, it's like all these intricate moves. It's like doing a gymnastics routine at some point yeah. where you're just like, you've got to remember every move in a sequence <laughs> perfectly, line it all up, 
or you're going to fall and die or you're going to have to do it all over again and that would have driven me mad most of the time but I don't know when it worked when it was the right setting it just felt so compelling and I think again you know as you said Angel of Darkness came and it was like nah that's, that, that's me done with that but yeah again Anniversary which I got round to playing I think just as I got PS3 on the old backwards compatible model and you know waiting for games to come out and I picked that up on the cheap I was like oh wow this is amazing I like this sort of reimagining you know that where it keeps a lot of things that were cool about it and yeah it really got me back into the series again and yeah I enjoyed Legend as well I even enjoyed Underworld to be honest so mm. as flawed as a game that was you know I think it has some really cool stuff you know the underwater stuff at the beginning you know and all swimming underwater the most, but I love you know I fucking hate underwater levels with sharks and stuff because that's just a real world thing but <laughs> it's again very fascinating to do that in a game but yeah so that came and went that was quite cool and yeah 2013 was great I think it's probably still one of my favourite ones even though I think it, as you said it, it lacks uh, some warmth to it you know some humour mm. where the, everyone's a bit too serious it's a bit uh, I like the, the stuff that reminded me of The Descent, for instance, you know, about that, you know, all, mm. all the, the geothermal yeah. caves and stuff like that, and then all the supernatural stuff that came later was great. And just the general, her having to survive all this stuff, where it took that stuff that uncharted, you know, where he's you know constantly falling into danger every five seconds, but made it more of a thing, you know, where, she, you know, she is getting battered by everything, and everything is hurting her, and she's getting badly damaged and fighting back for it uh, sure it gets a bit weird that she suddenly just snaps out of the idea of oh god I've got to kill people uh, and then it's like you know, fucking chaining headshots with arrows <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like but you know that, that's video games <laughs> but um, yeah I think by the time you get to the sequel it was like yeah now, now it makes sense she's more like this She's. it felt a lot closer to being a balance of new and old. Mm. I, I said I haven't got around to sh- the shadow, unfortunately, but you know, again, it just comes back to the I played a bit of Rise for a bit and didn't enjoy it the first time around, and I sort of rectified it this time and have had a lot better time. But so yeah, I've always been pretty happy with it as a franchise, just with these old moments where I'm like, maybe not. But yeah, it's one of those that stayed with me when you consider all these big franchises that have lasted for many many years and eventually you tend to just fall out of them you know at some point you might be interested for a bit and then you're just gone I mean even newer franchises I could say that about like say Assassin's Creed where you know I hate a game I like a game I love a game then I hate a few <laughs> then I like one and it's like it, it's not like that you know, Tomb Raider's been fairly steady it has to be saying, despite its woes. It just, I, I, I'm very interested to see as well where they do go, like you say, that with any future game, because they can just sort of find a way to marry the stuff they've done more recently with the original philosophy, which I think people would be very welcoming of Yeah. now. I think people would actually really dig the idea of a more intricate kind of system where every move matters and every, you know, you can't just piss about and just flow through levels to with the uh, assistant, assistance of the AI I think it would be cool to have that sort of 
nah, you've got to do this right. And people, because <laughs> people want to show that off. You, you know that, that that's, mm. that's a very big thing online. So yeah, they love that. <laughs> Well, there's an element of something that I want to focus on that you mentioned in terms of from early in the series, right? You have those moments where Laura has those sort of like aquatic sections, right? And then you have those other moments that are more recently, but still back in the day, even moments that are very reminiscent of The Descent. And so when I kind of, we kind of reached out to Daryl to talk about it. And at first I was kind of thinking like, well, do we have enough here to talk about horror and Tomb Raider? It, it, within like, 30 seconds of thinking about it and my exposure to it and talking with Neil and stuff, it's like, uh, we have more than enough. Just because in terms of thinking about how it might not be a horror game, but the game is so heavily steeped in elements of horror that we both love, that all three of us love, right? Mm -hmm. And that a lot of it is this kind of survivalist horror, which Neil and I have talked plenty in the past about survival games that tap very heavily into horror. And Tomb Raider, I think, is one of those examples that, uh, not to scold us too much, we failed to mention, but mm. this seems, in talking about it with you and in kind of re-experiencing some of the games, I mean, Tomb Raider from the opening moments of the original has been very steeped in crafting tension and unease and really that sort of, like, back in the day, that Gary Paulson hatchet, this is somebody that's trapped out in the wilderness and we don't know if they're going to make it from moment to moment. And I mean, I believe the first game even opens up with you standing outside of a cave and all you see are these like bear tracks that lead into it. And I remember that being a very distinct moment when I played the game for the first time where I was like, Oh shit, what's in, what left these tracks? What's in there waiting for me in the darkness and whatnot. And you know, it was very pixelated and everything, but at the same time, it's still that feeling that it evokes and that, you're hesitant to go into that cave. You're hesitant to go in there and explore. And I think that tone is very obviously uh, specific in setting that from the very beginning. But the game really does carry that into a lot of different facets of an adventure, a platformer, a survival game in a way that I find to be... It holds up really well, but it does such a great job of being restrained in that it introduces just enough of it that it causes or it evokes that sort of feeling of tension or hesitancy. Mm, yeah. But it's not so overbearing that it really interferes, maybe. Maybe that's the wrong word, but interferes with the progression, right? I think that having that hesitation and then, like Neil had been saying, backing it up with those very deliberate and more uh, intricate platformer segments where it's like, you got to get these jumps or these movements right, otherwise you're going to be starting from square one. Mm. Yeah, I think that's the thing because I've always like kind of judged parts of Tomb Raider of like atmospheric horror, really, because mm-hmm. you have these 3D games back in the day where they'll have music tracks where it'll take the theme of the level and you'll be hearing it constantly, like like a Sonic level, yeah. for instance, right? And with Tomb Raider, the music that you hear is the atmosphere around the level. So you've got like echoes, you've got, you know, like, like the cave sounds, you've got just dead air to be honest in some levels um or in tomb raider 2 like when you're in the, the water levels you've got these like mechanical backgrounds like clanking away you know really like mm. silently and that that kind of gets your anxiety up a little bit because you think well what's in the distance what's coming and the, the great thing that the composer nathan mccree did because he treated it like a film again you know he's did these triggers in the engine where if you stepped on a certain floor you know a music track would would land you know you'd have that um, like sudden music of, of like you know what could be there who's dropped something what's going on and it made the player like think well you know what's going to happen if I go through that corridor mm. you know what's going to happen now I mean 
when it got to say Tomb Raider 3, um, it got to the point where it had these sudden like bang, like music kind of cues. And suddenly you'd have like a boulder about to run you over, you know? <laughs> um, so I think that's a big thing of Tomb Raider. The atmosphere and the level and the design of it really kind of like spoke to the horror side of it. Um, you know, it was really like a big thing for 96. Yeah, and I think that that is probably an element that gets overlooked to a certain degree in terms of the music and those cues, like you mentioned, because I remembered very distinctly sort of just trying to explore especially like in one and two, trying to explore these areas and getting a mastery of them. And then sort of, again, like Neil had mentioned, dealing with the sort of jarring nature of being able to traverse environments and this full freedom of 3D and being able to explore areas in a way that I hadn't previously going from like, I don't know, the 2D era of uh, Super Nintendo and things like that. But the music did a great job of sort of keeping me on edge even when it was just me trying to do the same jump that I had been yeah. doing because there was certain times where like you had said there's no music which if anything makes can make it equally as tense as if there was a super sort of heightened track playing because you're like so focused and you have nothing distracting you but you're distracting yourself and how focused you are and then also of course having those cues and you know I don't have the specific moment in mind but I do remember that there were certain moments where they had that cue of like that bang or something, which like for lack of a better way to describe it, it was kind of like a jump scare audio cue almost, mm. but nothing, it wasn't always a boulder, right? Very often it would be the sign that like you had to run from a boulder or an enemy leapt into frame or something like that. But I think that using that periodically, even when you're just doing like environmental traversal, that's an element that I think does a great job of instilling the sense that like, you might be familiar with this area or this puzzle or whatnot, but you should always be on edge to a certain degree because you never know what's coming. Um, and I don't know, thinking back now, just in terms of like the first uh, two games and the types of enemies that you were fighting in terms of them being like a T-Rex or a Manta Ray and all those things, like there is a very uh, like, I mean, as a fan of creature features as Neil is, the idea that like this is basically like sort of a mini creature feature in terms of the, what you're facing off against and you're being hunted and preyed upon and whatnot. And that's always been an element that, I don't know, I would always try to bring up when people are like, well, it's an adventure game. It's There's nothing horror about this. And then I was like, well, you fight a T-Rex in the first, what, hour of the game of the playing in the first 90 seconds of the demo type thing? And I was like, it's pretty horrifying. Like, there's a, that's a whole basis for multiple other franchises and whatnot. So Tomb Raider has been one that I think even from the very first game, has always tapped into horror, whether it be overt or sort of more restrained, but tying in in a way that is evident whether or not people really realize it. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think there's um, a thing that makes it very unnerving, even the very blatant uh, monster stuff, is, especially in the early games, it's, it just feels like it just happens. You know, it, there's no spectacle about it it's very just much like this is part of the world you're in like there's there's no great shock and awe from the game to try and push to you that i mean you only have to go to the t-rex in the first game alone to sort of say like the way it just looms out of nothing like nothing no preamble it just happens and it's like it's as a reason that's the test of time as a, one of those iconic moments in gaming because it's just like fuck I did not expect that sort of thing, and <laughs> like that, and even like, um, well, Tomb Raider 2 as well. It's like the Yetis, 
Mm. I think it is, isn't it? And the sounds they made, just like the, the lack of soundtrack there, the, the, definitely made that because the sounds they make are just, ooh, yeah, they are some that you know that thing is like stuck with me from that game, you know, all these years because it's just. So I think back then when you are you know, exposed to so few games, you tend to pick up on aspects of them more and they sort of stay in your brain. I think I mentioned this the other week about Echo the Dolphin and the sound of Echo getting hurt, uh, um, especially in the late, the weird alien levels at the end, just is just permanently seared into my brain because it's just the imagery and the sound together. is like, oh, like that. And I, I always remember that about the Yetis in that, but it just that weird scream they had is just like it was like nothing I'd heard out there in a game before <laughs> it was just, and back then they looked intimidating as well you know it's yeah, I think that um, in terms of like earlier of course you can't talk about something like Tomb Raider without mentioning uh, something like Uncharted mm. and I remember in specific moment and you know I've enjoyed the Uncharted games but Something that I think really differentiates Tomb Raider from something like Uncharted is that we've mentioned previously, like, Uncharted is very kind of quip-heavy. It feels very much like an action movie. Sure, it, there's some similar similarities in terms of the setting and the occupation of the protagonist and whatnot, but Uncharted, for me, never doesn't feel like it's an action movie where, yeah, they're going to face off against... He's going to kill thousands of people, and then he's going to end the game smiling, and it's not a big deal, right? He's... He's not traumatized from the entire ordeal and whatnot, but especially when thinking about like the horror elements of it, with Uncharted 2, I remember there's an entire section in the back half where he essentially faces off something similar to like Yeti creatures or monsters or something of that yeah. effect. And while that's a standout and how different that feels from the rest of the Uncharted games in terms of this being the most horror-centric moment amongst those games, it... And while I enjoyed it, it doesn't register with me the same way that Tomb Raider handles their more overt horror uh, moments within the game, whether it be the Yetis, whether it be later in like Shadow, where you are basically fighting these sort of like zombie monsters at a certain portion of the game and whatnot. And I think that a big part of that is due to Laura, right? And while I think that the later games, while as much as I enjoyed them from a gameplay perspective, they do feel a little melodramatic within her being so sort of like straight shooter not really like doing quips every now and then i think that that actually sells the horror aspect in a way that yeah. uncharted something like uncharted never could right because he's not making she's not making jokes about what she's encountering it's supposed to be terrifying it's supposed to be very overtly uh, a new type of threat that was you can't even imagine that that's coming at certain ele- uh, points in the game based upon your history with it and whatnot. But I think that that's an element that, while in the overarching narrative of the Tomb Raider games, might not work as well, I find that it actually complements the horror aesthetic because her reaction to that feels genuine. It's not like Laura kills one of these creatures and then she's like, whoa, there's another boom headshot zombie or whatever, something that's probably a little more creative than what I just said. But it's more about just sort of her ability to sell this in the moment and not becoming desensitized to it, I think really does sell the horror aspect in a way that again, we keep talking about like the future of Tomb Raiders up in the air in terms of the direction they want to take. And that would be an element that I would be hopeful that they would look into kind of carrying on in terms of retaining that identity and playing it as straight as they do sometimes while 
maybe making a narrative that doesn't maybe feel as melodramatic at times and whatnot. Yeah, it's a strange thing because, I mean, just take like the first two minutes of the game. I mean, there's, there's two moments really where it, it gets into the horror. I mean, like the last levels of Atlantis, you know, you've mm. got the you got the blood on the walls and everything like beating like a heart. You know, it, it's like you're in an actual monster. And you know, on the final level, you know, you're facing this huge boss thing like with huge arms and it's going to just you know just wreck you completely on this platform and every single room either has like lava just ready to go um you've got these like like centaurs you know with their skin on the outside you've got what fans call bacon lara you know where it's copying your every move (laughs) you know and yeah. it just makes you feel like, what's going to come next? What the hell's going on? You know, there's every surprise after another. And it makes you paranoid, like, what's going to happen in these late levels? And I think another part of it, especially in the first three games, because there are levels where you lose all your weapons. And I think that's a part, really, of where you're, where you just feel like, well, you've already faced all these enemies in the past 10 levels. How are you going to do it in this one? And the first game does it really well because you collect weapons from different bosses of the henchmen and you are just taken on by, again, lava, spikes, pits. And I think that again goes into the horror side of it because you're thinking, well, what the hell am I going to do without my dual pistols, which Lara's known for? Um, so, you know, when you get into Atlantis, the beating heart walls, the bacon Lara and the loss of weapons, it really adds up to the horror really for the first game especially yeah it's, it really does just go out there and again just the fact that it does it in such a matter of fact way mm-hmm. it just really takes you back yeah back you know you don't <laughs> even now i think when you come back to say anniversary and seeing things like that it's just like it's stunning that most people will remember like tomb raider for certain things because you know that's probably what they played you know, at the time. You know that first bit. You know those bits, the dinosaurs, the T Rex. But yeah, the later stuff just is nuts. You know, and yeah, it, it is astounding that they got away with it, and it doesn't get talked about as much. I think you know? it's because it's a really impressive use of just dread-inducing horror without doing any of the usual horror tricks. Well, I think that that again speaks to just how expertly crafted a lot of the environments were, but also, again, just sort of the atmosphere, which Daryl mentioned, in terms of the ability to invoke the same feelings of horror without having a lot of jump scares. Like, I think that there's... Pro- there's I'm sure there's a litter of uh, instances where a velociraptor jumps out or a yeti jumps out, and it's like, okay, that's sort of like a one-and-done sort of jump-cheap scare. But I think that it's more of a testament to the entire experience and in getting more into talking about the more recent games, that has been the element that they have done a really fantastic job of taking from the earlier games and then putting it into the more recent things. While the mechanics have stayed true, very much so in terms of the platforming, and they've introduced more elements that have become more more of the staples of a lot of third-person games, like Daryl had said with like gears in terms of like cover base, the way you traverse environments, and then of course more of the uh, combat focus of like taking cover and things like that, but also survival mechanics like crafting and all these different elements. I feel that the attention to crafting the atmosphere, if anything, has just gotten stronger. And it's taken a lot of the variables from the original games and how 
much weirder they get in the back half of those games. I feel that they've taken those same types of moments, but they've refined it into an experience that maybe doesn't make each section feel as jarring. Because, you know, like with Atlantis, with that moment in particular, like I remember enjoying that a lot. But when you look back at the very beginning of the game, in my mind, it's a little jarring in terms of like the leaps and bounds, right? The journey to get there, it's kind of like, well, this is a distinct uh, shift from this chapter to that chapter because you're like, look how fucking crazy this has gotten compared to where we started, which I think that it, it definitely holds up well and it definitely gets across in being very uh, horror, the more horror-centric elements and things like that. But at the same time, I think that when thinking about my recent experiences with the last three games, especially since moving on from uh, Crystal Dynamics 2013 Reboot, it's one of those things where it feels like a more seamless horror experience in terms of them taking that. And it really, from the opening moments of the game, it never really loses that sort of attention to, you need to, even if you end up like getting all this equipment and everything, it still kind of feels very much like that naked and alone moment where you're like, well, I'm in the middle of the wilderness by myself and being hunted by a gang of Russians and I'm basically all alone. And it's like, it's up to me, the player, to outmaneuver them and outsmart them and that taps into an element of horror films that I really love, right? And you get these m- films where, like, especially, you know, the vulnerability of, of course, Laura being a female in a world that is male-dominated and all of her oppressors, for the most part, are men. Like, being hunted by gangs of men adds a whole nother layer of tension and terror to that um, in a way that I think that the newer games lean into more so and sort of just the uh, the terrifying implications that that can have has has worked in their favor in moving away from it being more about um, maybe not necessarily always environmental horror, but it's more about situational horror as well in terms of like what happens if you slip up uh, and the fate that can befall Laura if that happens. But there's also um, this, and it only came to light, I believe in October of this year, uh, test footage from, or alpha footage rather, of a canceled Tomb Raider game called Tomb Raider Ascension, which... If I understand correctly, basically it was canceled, but then they took a lot of the elements and it funneled into the Crystal Dynamics reboot of 2013. Um, and I watched the alpha footage a couple days ago and it is very horror focused. And it's not by any uh, stretch of the imagination, this was going to be a, as full fledged horror as Tomb Raider could be. Um, a lot of the footage is like Laura with the flamethrower and she's being. Uh, stalked and hunted by this group of the, what are basically like witchy monsters or vine monsters and whatnot. And it kind of feels like the ultimate uh, personification of the horror elements that have always been present in Tomb Raider. Um, so, Daryl, I'm kind of curious, what was your sort of takeaway from a lot of that test footage that came to light? Like, with it being so heavily rooted in horror, rather than maybe being more restrained horror like we're familiar with? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing, really, after Underworld, because I feel like with Crystal, they weren't really sure where to go, really, with Lara, because this was a game that was released about 2008, I recall. And, you know, around then, I mean, I think they were looking at maybe a fourth entry in that storyline, you know, that legend anniversary thing. And I think Ascension was one of those test ideas. And when you, like, watch it, I mean, it, it does work really well. 
Um, I mean, I know like this was probably six years before Breath of the Wild, but oddly enough, it reminded me of that for some reason. I don't know why, um, in some ways. But yeah, I feel like with with that, there's a lot of potential there that could work in a future game. Um, whether that could be a nightmare sequence or could be a reimagining of maybe, I don't know, the island of, of 2013. But yeah, it just kind of like makes you think as to how Crystal could, you know, work the horror side really bring it back from how it was in Atlantis from the first game and bring it into a next-gen, you know, PS5 age where, you know, you are being hunted down, whether it's by, you know, similar to Nemesis in 3, I don't, Resident Evil 3, I don't know. But, yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of potential. But again, it's a franchise, really, that compared to what you've spoken about before on, on this podcast, where it's Silent Hill, Resident Evil, this is a franchise that's not been managed by just one company it's been by several now Mm. and i think like you said jay you know people understand how tomb raider works to an extent and i feel like with ascension i think there's a lot of stuff to work in really for if they decide to do a new trilogy so yeah a lot to work from there i do wonder that if the thinking behind it and why it didn't end up being like that was because we were going through this period where big companies were basically saying horror games don't sell we don't sell mm. they don't work you know, it was a lie but they but you know <laughs> that's the way they saw it and you know at that point you know dead space was already getting pushed away from its original vision and they were resident, you know, resident evil was doing stupid shit so it was <laughs> you know it was not going well in that regard so maybe they were sort of consolidating thinking well we'll do a bit of this a bit of that and then i think you know the Hunger Games happened as well, and hence why bow and arrows were everywhere. Um, and it just became like, yeah, we'll do this, this, and this. And I think they always wanted to do it because you see it in Rise as well, you know, especially with the DLC, like the Baba Yaga stuff. Was a witch. That stuff is just brilliant horror stuff. Mm. And it, it's clear they want to go to that and they want to try and do a bit more of that stuff. But I think. You know, Square are a problem in that regard with Western developers. They they seem very finicky about what they want things to be, and they set much higher standards for their Western studios than they do their Eastern. Which is very, you know, it was shown I think in I think it was 2016 when Hitman got its you know confused episodic release thing and. You had uh, Deus Ex Mankind Divider getting all this shit DLC stuff that didn't need to be in there. And like, and then Square turn around and go shrug their shoulders when their games don't sell as well as they wanted, you know, and they blame the developers and then we don't get a sequel to, to Mankind Divided and they ditch IO's Hitman series entirely. And it's like Crystal Dynamics, you know, they're fate seems to be <laughs> they got given the Marvel fate but um, and that didn't really work out for them so you wonder if they'll get any kind of freedom or if they're just going to be told mm. to follow a certain pattern that's what worries me about it because more and more it just becomes very evident that Square Enix don't really want to do things right by it you know, and, and stick to certain ideas they're wanting what might sell. They, they want the gimmick. They want something that, I mean, it shows in how they handled that trilogy. Um, 
you know, the whole exclusivity of Rise yeah. on a console that was getting its ass kicked. Um, really just did not do that trilogy any favours because by the time you got to it, you know, to the third entry, you know, you've already pissed off some people and some just never got round to it after the first game. And that's it. So they scuppered themselves for a bit of security, which is yeah, daft in the end. Yeah, you know, as big of a horror fan as I am, and I finished watching that alpha footage, I was like, this. I see a lot of cool bits from this that could be applied to a Tomb Raider game. Hmm. I just don't know, though, if they're as well-versed in horror or maybe just in general of, like, what the expectations are for Tomb Raider. And I know we've talked about how Tomb Raider has evolved over the years, but, you know, I've always enjoyed it and I've always associated it with horror, but at the same time... If horror is the lead for Tomb Raider, I don't know if that sort of interferes with the actual core identity of the game, or maybe that begins to affect just the type of game that they're making, Mm. right? Because, I don't know, I could see that, as much as I would love to have more moments where, like, Laura's getting attacked by these witch monsters and has to use a makeshift flamethrower and all this, there might be the tendency, if to over-rely on moments like that, which in the end creates something, an adventure for Laura that is unlike anything else, but in the wrong way, right? I think that I'm always in favor of a studio and even like with film, right? Directors having a different vision for like, thinking in terms of like remakes, right? They have a different vision using the toolbox that another director basically crafted or created. And with games, it's like, I'm always open to seeing them branch off in a new direction but I feel like with something as storied as Tomb Raider there might be the over-reliance on the horror elements that you're like wasn't this game about like platforming at one point or or puzzles or something like that you know what I mean like that's kind of that's a fear maybe that I would have and again like I'm not necessarily a diehard Tomb Raider fan but at the same time if it is lacking so much of what has established that as a major franchise of the last 25 years it's kind of like well what is the purpose then of using the Tomb Raider name? And I think that Tomb Raider has always been strongest in having these pockets of very overt horror rather than the entire experience overall being overt horror. Um, And also like there's a couple of moments in the alpha footage where it feels very shadowy of the Colossus or shadow of the Colossus rather in terms of just like you're running from monsters on horseback for these long stretches and then you're dueling these massive ogres on horseback and all these things and you know, I, I don't necessarily, I guess lore has always been action focused and combat and things like that, but I don't know. I just, it's interesting to think that you could fit those types of experiences within Tomb Raider, but you just don't know how much of the final product would have been that. Mm. And it's like in bits and pieces that could have worked, but in terms of like, well, we're using this as an excuse to reboot it. We're going to over rely on these new types of experiences found within a Tomb Raider game. But then at the end of that game, does it feel like Tomb Raider or does it feel more just representative of a lot of the sort of gameplay mechanics and elements that have been popularized by much more successful games in this new era? Yeah. So that was my sort of just thinking on it in terms of like, well, do they have the the even hand of like, we're going to do a dash here and a dash there of more extreme horror rather than just kind of like taking the cap off and sprinkling horror over the entire thing? Well, I think... To be fair to the, the Crystal Dynamics, you know they they had a good legacy in horror, you know, beforehand with the legacy of Kane Soul Reaver games, yeah. and uh, 
and uh, Blood Omen, where they they really picked that franchise up and did a great job of it. Like, it was Silicon Knights who'd done the first game, and then they took over mm. and did Soul Reaver. And those games, you know, in the realm of games that have yet to be remade or get a reboot, that's up there. And it always feels like that's the destiny of Crystal Dynamics to finally go back there and make mm. another Legacy of Kane game. And that's why I feel like you get these smatterings of uh, of uh, horror in their Tomb Raider games because that's been the bread and butter for that studio in the past. And I think it's also why it was such an odd fit for doing a Marvel game that wasn't horror-led because it just felt like, well, it's not their style, it's not their speed. They're not action experts, you know. It's like they, they very much suit games like Tomb Raider and Legacy of Kane and that sort of thing because that, that, that's what you think when you think Crystal Dynamics. In its history, it's Tomb Raider, Legacy of Kane. That that sort of games of service shite they got put on them it just d- didn't work. And like I said, I hope that that doesn't end up just stopping them doing one of those two things again. Definitely, and I think that it makes me, you know, furthermore like excited for the future of Tomb Raider and seeing how they're going to handle a lot of these elements that have always been prevalent in one way or another within over the course of the franchise, but also getting to see like how much more they want to lean into that and. You know, again, like coming back to the idea that like some people might not view or think about Tomb Raider and then associate it right away with horror at all. And it's like I keep coming back to that Crystal Dynamics reboot in terms of just like how many terrifying experiences are within that game. Right. Whether it be like exploring caves and having them collapse around you in a way that you had never experienced before in a Tomb Raider. Thanks to just, of course, like the graphical fidelity at the time and whatnot. Um, I think I believe it was the reboot where there's this sequence where you escape from the Russians and then your hands are tied and you basically have to like sneak around behind them. It was either that or uh, Shadow, one or the other. But like that takes it back then to a moment like that Daryl had talked about in the previous in the early games where you lose all your weapons at one point and kind of making the player defenseless in a way that. You know, you've had plenty, like, especially in something like a, like first-person shooters, right? You always lose your guns at a certain point, and then you have to kill one guy, and you build your way back up. But there's something about, like, seeing this character that you're familiar with, like, essentially being handcuffed and having to sneak around and rely on that in a way that you haven't experienced before, that it just it gives you these little pockets of moments that are legitimately terrifying and tense, and then you follow it up with a more traditional moment, but I think that the game just builds upon those little moments so well that I don't know. I don't really don't know how you could walk away from that game and not feel the sort of horror that has always been around the periphery and sometimes very overtly. So in this franchise in a way that I don't know to say that, uh, to know where it came from in terms of like that initial pitch of it being female indie. And it's like, I've never experienced an Indiana Jones game or even a movie where it's like, Oh, this is, overtly terrifying in a way that really like makes your hair stand up on the back of your neck the way Tomb Raider has yeah. periodically throughout the years and yet it still has you know in, in both you have that element of it where it, it's very odd that the movies have never really done that very well mm. you know, it's like they've they've been served as blockbusters first character led first rather than 
sort of really delving into that. I think the Uncharted movie will probably suffer the same fate in that regard, where they try and keep it a bit too grounded, a bit too. And yeah, it just it's very odd because that would really do well. You know, I think a Tomb Raider movie that had that sort of horror-led edge and the survival thing, it works. You know, it really does, and it it's just daft and feels very toothless. Yeah, um, there were elements of the recent uh, version that were actually all right, but when you got down to it, it was just like could be anything. Yeah, doesn't really feel like doesn't really feel like a Tomb Raider experience. I wasn't keen. No, it just felt yeah. like it was just run of the mill, really. And mm. yeah, I, I didn't. I wasn't really keen for it. I mean, I just want them just to have it just set in Egypt. Just have a just mm. you know just an artifact in a pyramid and just have that claustrophobia and just you know reflect the the atmospheric horror you know of, of the sound effects and the music and you know if you're sitting in a cinema and you are going to experience it in a whole different way but in a good way you know yeah. instead of like seeing Lara in a shop saying I'll take two of pistols to end a scene in a movie and it doesn't work you know <laughs> but you know having right. that you know, have an atmosphere in a movie. I think would work so well um, because you know Lara barely talks in the game, apart from the cutscenes. You know, mm. so have that. You know, have that work. And I feel like if you know if they did that, it would just be great. But we'll see. Yeah, it seems like they overthink it a lot in terms of like what they need. What they really need to do is kind of focus on the sm- like for lack of a better way to phrase it, like the smaller moments rather than trying to make Laura, who is of course going to be the star of the movie, but it's like almost like they're trying to evoke something that has never necessarily been a big part of her in the games, right? She's always been, of course, the protagonist and whatnot, and she's had these varying story arcs and whatnot, but it's almost like, especially like in the movies, they try to make her something that she has never been in terms of associating her having this narrative that's larger than life when it's like she's having larger than life experiences sometimes that's always been my hang up at least because you're right like take it to Egypt like how simplistic is it to say but you capture those little moments she's crawling through a chamber and it's fall it's collapsing behind her and she can barely breathe she's getting suffocated by the sand she just makes it by the skin of her teeth like give us lots of little moments like that throw in a supernatural element that is actually handled with the Uh, like the respect that it deserves, right? You actually make it creepy. You actually make it horrifying in a way that doesn't feel more like fantasy than actual horror. And that's something that, I don't know, I guess there's still so much, whether it be in the games or in movies, like there's still so much resistance to giving people a horror moment that is genuinely horrifying sometimes for whatever reason, like they're afraid it won't click with audiences or something, but it's like, it would be nice to see them go all out in certain moments of a Tomb Raider experience rather than it be from the entire experience being horror. Because, you know, like we've talked about at length now, um, you have to retain what has made Tomb Raider a household name for all these years while still maybe ratcheting certain moments up a notch that they haven't previously taken it. And, you know, I wasn't keen on the, uh, the most recent Tomb Raider game either, but... At the same time, there was a moment in there, like I said, where it's like you're facing off against zombies, essentially, uh, which was not a huge section of the game, but 
it was an example of a small moment that they ratcheted up, I feel, to a level that they hadn't previously. And again, when we're talking about the future of Tomb Raider, that makes me excited for the future, even if I wasn't necessarily a fan of the last game or like the last two. They were okay. Um, I guess for you, Daryl, like being such a massive Tomb Raider fan, um, what are you looking for specifically in the future of the next installment? Do you want to see something more in line with the traditional Tomb Raider experience? Do you want to see them do something quirky and strange, but I mean, something similar akin to um, like those co-op games or the mobile version that was more strategy focused. What are you kind of looking for in the future? I mean, the thing is that Tomb Raider, they've got a big opportunity really to just kind of like make the most of like what they have, because I've always said that Mm. if they follow up the Sonic route of where they had Sonic Mania and Sonic Forces, a 2D game and a 3D game, they follow like the best of, of Sonic in a sense, not so much with forces, obviously, but they kind of like try to, you know, please both fans. If they did that with Tomb Raider, mm. you know, they followed like a, a new series of games, but they also went back to the original games in a sense as well. You know, just to kind of like hone in on like what makes a great Tomb Raider game. And also, update the ports on, on Steam and GOG and everything because mm, it's mm. so difficult to try and get some of these games working now as well. And the fact that we don't really have a Tomb Raider game to play on the Switch either, I find strange. Yeah, that that is surprising. Yeah, yeah I mean... It's maddening. But hey, maybe we'll get the same luck that I got with the Manhunter episode where I complained about not being able to play it properly and now it looks like it's going to be back to the compatible on Xbox. So <laughs> now we talked about it, hopefully next week yeah. we'll see it. They'll, they'll say, yeah, talk to Legend and Anniversary for Switch. Yeah, hopefully. Fighting the, fighting the urge to, uh, to break out my soapbox about the lack of compatibility for older games. But I mean, that is the type of thing where it's like when I was reading your book, it was like, okay, I want to go back and maybe re-experience these with more context to them, other than when I originally played them, which was I stumbled upon them in Blockbuster in like a sale bin or something. And maybe I'll get a new appreciation for it, or maybe just uh, see how the experience hits me knowing the history behind it. And like I said, how well you um, illustrate what the development period was like in that Thank time you. for different companies and all those things and how they come to it. And then I was like, how the fuck do I go about playing these other than like driving to go to my parents' house far away and finding them and digging them out of my uh, closet or whatever from back in the day? It's the type of thing where it's like, it is kind of maddening. Again, there is an anniversary version and whatnot, but still even that, I'm just like, okay, what is the easiest way to experience these? And uh, without, uh, without making an admission on tape, like there are ways, but they aren't the ways that we would like because we'd like to support them the way that we could through something like Steam mm-hmm. or whatnot or Switch, like that's wild to me that those are not on switch because those seem like such no-brainers but at the same time it's like well it's easy to forget what too you know the further you get from the original game's release it's easier to understand that they might take these wide turns in terms of the direction they take it because if people don't have access to the original games that sort of legacy or whatnot other than brand name recognition it's like well in another 25 years, if it's not given the same attention to making sure that they're accessible, it's like, well, who the hell knows what the idea of what a Tomb Raider game would even be I mean, based off of the future. I just had a thought again, and I'm going to beat the stick, you know, squaring it, going to stick it again here, but looking back through the entire series, you think about it, it's like, when did they really get ported beyond their generation that often they didn't really i mean the only examples we have are them remaking with anniversary 
That's it. Really? That's <laughs> okay. And maybe porting Go onto consoles. That's and that's the extent of it. I mean, to have a 25th anniversary year and have nothing <laughs> yeah. to show for it really is just appalling. Considering you know exactly what Square Enix would do if it was Final Fantasy. Yep. Yeah. Mm, 100%. It's like, and how many, how many times have they ported Final Fantasy VII? How many times they've remade that game, they've ported it to everything, but for some reason, Tomb Raider, with its own legacy that really blew up at exactly the same time Final Fantasies did, doesn't get it. And it's just, it does feel like the adopted child now for them. You know, it's like, they're like, well, we have it, we have to deal with it, we have to give them some money so they can survive. And then if they do well with it, great. But yeah, it just, there doesn't seem to be any respect, and it isn't just Tomb Raider. Mm. You know that that goes for anything they've done in their past. There's rarely an opportunity for them to where they'll say, "Yeah, we'll put this on the next console and the next console like that." Unless you know, I think was Sleeping Dogs, one of theirs. I think it was, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, pretty sure. Yes, yeah. and they ported that, but again guess what we never got a fucking sequel so it, it just shows <laughs> it's, it's so weird it's it's weird because the thing is right Tomb Raider 1 for instance if you buy it from Steam yeah. now you're going to get a version from MS-DOS you're going to get a package of mm. DOS box mm. and that's it whereas the community have been amazing they've actually managed to port it to a, a modern graphics engine where you can just play it in 4K native widescreen everything there even have mods where you can have like the life bars of the enemies even and just have it in a 4K display native, and it's fantastic. You just have to download like a .dll file, drop it in the folder, and you're there. Same with Tomb Raider 2. But instead, you download it on Steam, and you get the 1997 like configuration settings of primary display driver in 640 by 480, 16-bit color if you want to go crazy, and it just crashes. It's it's very strange that they just haven't they haven't just tried really with these ports it's so bizarre because it's just easy money to be honest they could just have it on switch and it'd be great yeah and that's what i mean and it just you can't say that they don't do it they do it when they feel like it as a company but it does seem that all the companies are sort of acquired in that merger that they just don't care about them the same way and they don't it's business to them I mean, they're not the only company to do that. We know that. There's plenty out there that get lambasted for just leaving their franchises to die. But it's just very frustrating when you see it like this, where it's so uneven in how it gets handled. And you get these games that do get like, oh, here's the 10th different version of Final Fantasy VII. And yet, oh, you want to play a new Tomb Raider? Maybe after they've done this Marvel game if that does well if it doesn't maybe not like that it's it gets a bit daft you know it's like you can yeah (laughs) yeah it's mad because back in that period you know when Tomb Raider rebooted in 2013 and you had all those cool games coming out like uh, Deus Ex uh, Human Revolution and the Hitman game even like uh, Hitman Absolution which you know once it gets lambasted it had some great ideas that went on to be in Hitman uh, 2016 it's like they were on a good tear they made some really great games that were really well received but because they had this weird idea that they, they cost too much money you know, 
it just didn't work. And they just decided that they were failures and that was it. I mean, we had it only recently with Crystal Dynamics where they were basically this guy from the big head hunter at Square Enix saying, no, nah, yeah, they failed basically. You know, it's like, it's their fault. And I was just like, but they failed because of the things you told them to do. You know, it's not because of anything they did. It's what you did. It's like, they, they clearly have shown they can make a game that's competent and works it's whenever you add these extra steps and yes i know that's the business and uh, big business gaming but it's just yeah square don't know how to do that right and it just doesn't work for that stuff we can only hope that uh in the future they'll get wise to what they could be doing to make a, a good good chunk of money yes yeah. there's definitely <laughs> there's definitely a need for it and a want yeah. for it and you know it doesn't seem like it is a, it, not as I am very ignorant to the uh, finer things of the game business and design, but at the same time, like the list of what we would want in order to experience these games the way they should be experienced and and preserved and whatnot, it's like it's not a big ask to have it play like you had said, Daryl, at like a natural resolution for the era we're playing it in. It doesn't feel it like getting it to run is not a chore. It actually runs without crashing every other like third leap or jump yeah. and whatnot. Uh, but you know that's uh, that's for the future to see. But uh, Daryl, before we let you go, was, were there any uh, points about Tomb Raider that uh, we've glossed over that uh, have really stood out to you? Oh, um, I mean, I've got to mention like Winston the Butler with the freezer in Tomb Raider Two <laughs> and Three. <laughs> <laughs> Have to mention him. Um, yeah, because the thing is, right? I mean, my um, so my niece came round him a few months ago, and um, she wanted to play Tomb Raider and. The one thing that she wants to do and she's actually scared of is the butler because when you're just like <laughs> running around the house and no matter where you could be, the butler will just appear behind you. And for a kid <laughs> at six years old, I mean, that's horror incarnate. I mean, it's nothing to do with yeah. like blood on the walls and heartbeats. It's a butler that's like just kind of like running up to you like mad, you know. And I feel like that's an interesting thing really with horror because with, with kids like that, they are worried by an old man with a tray <laughs> you know mm-hmm. coming up you know and i feel like that's really interesting and if there is a future game i want i really want just lara's home coming back with missing the butler <laughs> and you can trap in the freezer again that's what i want to see <laughs> yeah just a little like a, a bonus mission thing where it just plays into the idea of it being a horror thing where he just yeah. appears at every corner <laughs> he's just trying to get into every room of the house without him getting like slender man <laughs> yeah it's like just, yeah. he's just trying to serve you tea <laughs> yeah or dial it up a notch have him be like Kato from the Pink Panther and just to try to attack Laura <laughs> from like the cupboard or whatnot. but uh, before we let you go also I want to uh, give you a minute to uh, to plug your book and plug your podcast and whatnot because it's definitely something from what I've read and Neil's uh, been able to read a little bit more than me but it is uh, it shines a light on a development of a game that I think everybody knows about but not everybody knows about the story and I think that it's something that uh, anybody with the sort of just even an inkling of an interest in Tomb Raider would probably benefit from reading yeah absolutely I mean the thing is the aim for it was to tell the story of the original team really who was responsible for what and just how things came to be and how things could have been with Tomb Raider 3 as well with the original team. And I just kind of wanted to highlight really just, you know, just the fruits of their labour from 94 to 98 of just how much they worked, like non-stop, you know, and just, 
and they almost like the tragedy really of how like Toby Gard like you know left after like number one and poor Douglas like bless him he, he just had a breakdown you know like in the middle of two just just how like you know how game crunching existed like back then as well as it does now and I just mm. wanted to highlight the fact that you know this was like a series of games that was just loved by a lot of people in core design and it's still being felt like that today and that was the aim really for that book to just make sure that you know their their plight was mentioned really you know their their efforts were are still being rewarded now and that was that's really the story of it and that's how i wanted to to write it and you know it's available you know everywhere um amazon pen and sword um apple google um, i believe it's going to be out in the us um in about a month's time just before christmas uh so yeah i mean it's it's there if, if you want to like gift it as a present or just have a read of it yourself but uh yeah it's a great story fantastic and also everybody should check out uh daryl's podcast palkies which uh our own neil bolt has been on uh i think i mentioned that last time but great uh great podcast where daryl gets to chat with uh like-minded folk about games and their uh their love of games but daryl thank you again for your time it was a uh, a pleasure having you on once again to chat games and horror for safe room <laughs> no problem i really enjoyed this Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.